true north. We need to, to hear from God regularly. Uh, one of the, the texts I'd like to just focus on this morning comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, a uh, well-known a well-known verse to some of us. It's a challenge and a promise, and it should cause us to pause and evaluate our lives. It's this, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's really three things in this verse. There is a disposition towards God, which is hungering and thirsting. That's the first thing. The second thing we find is the condition of our hearts. Blessed are those. We're going to to understand from scripture now, what does it mean to be a blessed person? And then finally, uh, a promise Uh, or a result from God himself, we shall be filled when we do that. So we're going to look at that. Now, theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about this particular verse. He said, I do not know of a better test that anyone could apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is to you, one of the most blessed statements of the whole of Scripture, you can be quite sure you're a Christian. If it is not, then you had better examine the foundations again. This leads us to a question. As we look ahead to 2020, what do we truly thirst and hunger for? As we look ahead to the to the new year. The answer to that question, in keeping with what Martin Lloyd-Jones would teach us, will reveal the condition of our hearts. So as we look at 2020, I thought it would be good for us to pause, reflect, examine, and ask ourselves, do I truly hunger and thirst for the things of God? If we do, we have a great promise from God that we will be full, filled. If we don't, then it's incumbent upon us to examine ourselves and ask, us, ask ourselves, where do our dreams really lie? Where do our affections really lie? And that challenge is going to lead you into a particular place. So with that in view, I want us to see three basic truths this morning. That's the first, is that what we hunger and thirst for is going to reveal where your heart is at. Secondly, what we hunger and thirst for will ultimately direct how we live and the choices we make. It's going to direct the steps of your life. You know, if you think about a thirsting camel or a thirsting Uh, animal. What they long for is water, right? And this is a true story. When I was living in India in Varanasi, uh, the city I lived in, there would be all kinds of shepherds in the city. And this is typical in India, shepherds living in the city with their animals. Uh, There was this one shepherd with his flock of about 
30, 40 buffalo, water buffalo, which they would milk, very rich, delicious milk. And it was one of those hot May days in India where it can get up to 110. And unbeknownst to the shepherd, the water that he was leading uh, the buffaloes to a, a line had gone down, an electric line, a high voltage line had gone into that water. And they were telling the shepherd to stop the buffalo, stop. Now, normally, almost under every circumstance, the animal would listen to the shepherd. But in this case, he could not stop those 40 buffalo. Every single one of them went into that pond and got electrocuted to death. The power of thirst can lead us to a good place or it could lead us to our destruction. And so it's incumbent upon us to to examine the thirst in our hearts. It's going to reveal what's really in us. It's going to lead us in a particular direction. And then the final truth I want us to see this morning is whatever we hunger and thirst for is going to fill us is going to fill us. If we hunger and thirst for God, we'll be filled with the things of God. That's the promise that Jesus is giving us here. If we hunger and thirst for other things, then our hearts and minds will be filled with those other things. So let's look at these together this morning. First, our hunger and thirst will reveal what's in our hearts. Now, there's what I call the good, the bad, And the ugly, I love that expression from that old spaghetti western. Remember that? The good, the bad, and the ugly? Well, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of desire. Blasé Pascal, a French philosopher and mathematician, wrote this. Within each of us, there is a God-shaped vacuum. The writer of the book Ecclesiastes puts it this way. God has put eternity in the heart's a man. The idea here is that when God created us, he created us to be in relationship with himself. And there's something within us that longs for the fullness of God. God wants us to know that, that the good of desire is that when we feel empty and have those deep longings in our hearts, that he is a place that we can go to and find fullness. That's the good. The bad and ugly of desire is because of sin nature, our desires become misplaced, and we begin to believe that other things can fill us. And the world is filled with a place where people believe that there are other things that can fill them. That's really the story of the Garden of Eden. Satan, in Genesis chapter 3, goes to Eve and convinces her, here she is in a place where there's no death, all of her needs are provided for, she has unfettered access to the presence of God, perfect relationship with Adam, and Satan goes to Eve and convinces her that there's a deficiency within her that only can be filled without God. Listen to what he says to Eve. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And then he said this, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. The idea here is that that he was convincing her that somehow that God is holding back on her. There's a deficiency that could be found elsewhere, but God himself. And of course, we know the story. She eats of the fruit. She shares it with her husband, Adam, and sin enters the world. And as a result of sin, now there's misplaced desire. Misplaced desire is a belief that if I can have that one thing outside of God, I'll be filled. And so often when we leave God out of the question of life and begin to seek the fullness in other things, instead of allowing him to fill us, our hearts remain hungry and thirsty because we've been created with a God-shaped vacuum. And when we go down that road, that always leads, by the way, to a misery, emptiness, sorrow. You know, you've heard me say this many times. I just love this particular illustration, the horse and the carrot. A misplaced desire is the belief that somehow if I can get that more of that nibble of that carrot, I will be full. And. I guess in some ways they used to use a horse. I, of course, I never did this. Does this work, uh, Ted? Ted's a, a question. No, but I've tried it. You've tried it. Okay. But it's somehow it's a good illustration. The idea is you put the horse in front of the carrot, and the, the, the horse is longing for more, and it just keeps on going forward trying to get the whole thing. It never gets the whole thing. It never gets filled. It only gets a nibble. That's the idea. That's the way sin is. That's the way a misplaced desire is. We get a nibble. Nibble of pleasure, a nibble of, uh, you know, maybe a sense of accomplishment, pride, some other nibble, but it never fills. And that leads us to another question. How do you define happiness and joy this morning? The way you answer that question is going to, to lead you to how you're going to fill the thirst and hunger that's in you. The word blessed in the text that we were looking at before, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, it has the idea in the original language of an idea of happiness or a sense of well-being. It's closely related with the Hebrew word shalom. And the Hebrew word shalom in the Old Testament has the idea of of being satisfied, having a sense of well-being because my interests are protected by God himself and that God has brought me to a spacious, blessed place. And so the idea here is that through the Lord, we become blessed. We become full. There's a sense of joy attached to it. But when a person hungers for other things, the things of this world like pleasure, money, an addiction, you know, maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe there's a deep pain and you're trying to to mask it with some kind of addiction or obsessive 
compulsive disorder or something. Something is in you trying to find fullness, but you're coming up empty. And so when that happens, there's a desperation that enters the soul, an anxiousness, a weariness, an unhappiness, because we're longing to be full, and those things can't fill us. You know, the world does an effective job at trying to convince us that we can be filled with other things but God himself. If you stayed up late, which I did not, and watched the ball drop and watched all the nonsense, and I mean, you know, it's fun and all that to watch the ball drop. I get it. I've seen it many times. But there's a degree of nonsense of, of people, the talking heads, musing about what is important in life and their dreams for tomorrow. But you'll never hear anything about God in that. Oh, we can't say about that. That could be controversial, you know. I mean, to mention the one who actually created us, the one who actually wants to fill us and give us a dream for tomorrow. And so the world does a very good job at saying that if I attach myself to those things, then I'll be full. But we have a world that's running on empty. Not long ago, a good friend of mine who's a stockbroker helped a very successful and wealthy businessman retire at the age of 65. Uh, he had $23 million. That's more than most of us will ever see. So from many people's vantage points, he had it all. And so the man sold everything in New Jersey because who wants to stay in New Jersey with the taxes, right? Please don't leave the church and go down to Florida. I will not like you after that. I'm only joking. He goes down to Florida, and he and his wife run into a few health issues, and he calls my friend because they had a transaction to do, and he says, Nick, it's all a lie. He says, I'm desperately empty down here. He had it all from the world's point of view, but he had nothing. And by God's grace, my brother Nick, who knows the Lord, had an opportunity to share the gospel with him. This is where the fullness is to be found. Jesus said this, what if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? And the answer to that is, he gains nothing. And so we're invited to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven where moth cannot eat away at our wealth and, and rust cannot destroy. And so we're, we do well to heed to God's word and all this. God tells us, that the world and its desires are passing away. He wants us to fix our affections on things that are lasting. We're reminded from Isaiah, and Peter also reminds us, he says, all men are like grass and the, the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. So God wants us to put our confidence in his promises, promises of heaven, promises of resurrection, promises of a place where there will one day be no pain, no sin, no darkness. And here's the interesting thing. When we set our affections there, here becomes more full. Isn't that interesting? When we set our affections there, here becomes more meaningful. And that leads us to a, a second truth. Hunger, what we hunger and thirst for will reveal what's in our heart, but what we hunger and thirst for will direct our paths. What are the goals? 
that motivate you as you look to 2020? If you were to name a few. Again, our goals will be attached to the desires that reside in our hearts. If our primary goals are self-comfort, self-fulfillment, self-advancement, then the things I choose to act on will be directed to who? Self. But if my goals are Godward, then my affections are going to be Godward, and that's going to lead me somewhere. If I understand that the deepest longings of my heart are to be found in God and God alone and putting his kingdom first, I'm going to be filled with the things of God. So Jesus reminds us later on the same sermon. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things you need will be added onto you. These are great promises that any saint who's walked this earth can say true. Amen. Our desires will foster goals and our goals will direct our steps. And then that leads us to another question. How are your goals directing your steps? How are your goals directing your steps? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are great. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of your heart is, are we being invited to trust the Lord with? What percentage is all? 100%, right? The whole kit and caboodle, I like that. I had an uncle that used to have these old sayings. The whole thing. But he says this, this is the Proverbs, writer of Proverbs. Lean not on your own understanding. The idea there is leaving God out. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your steps. He wants to lead us to green pastures, to full water, full access. So that when we encounter difficulty, we have a sense of peace in the midst of it. When we encounter a world of trouble, we have wisdom from God on how to respond to it. When we encounter conflict, we become a people of peace and love because we're pursuing God first and he's filling us. I like this promise from Jesus in John 7, 2 and 3. He says, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. I love that. As the scripture says, he who believes in me out of his heart will flow streams of living water. That's a place of fullness when things are flowing from us. That's the opposite of a vacuum, you know? A great vacuum, it's just sucking. Some people are like vacuums. You ever notice that? How many people have vacuum relationships? Every hand almost will go up. You don't want to be a vacuum. You want to be a giver. There's much more joy in being full and giving than looking to take. Later on, John, uh, Peter, uh, Jesus said this in John 11, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. 
I mean, that's the Lord speaking. He's saying, I want to fill you so that your life is overflowing. And so our hunger and thirst will direct our steps. One final thing before we go to Lord's Supper. Our hunger and thirst is going to reveal what's in us. It's ultimately going to direct us. And it's ultimately going to fill us. You know, all of us have habits of living and thinking we'd like to change. Do you have a habit or a way of living? I, I, you know, don't ask me. I have this weird thing going on with Scrabble, online Scrabble. Why? And I'm not even good at it. That's the thing. I mean, I, I kind of fantasize being a champion. And all of a sudden, I get kind of close to that. And then all of a sudden, I get smacked down. I'm saying, I'm just not good at this. But I keep on going back to the trough because I kind of, you know, I'm saying, you know, I, I need to reduce it from, uh, you know, whatever I've spent in four or five hours or six hours where I'm spending on it to only a few hours. So we all have challenges in our lives. We, we want to somehow escape the mundane, right? Maybe it's too much TV. Maybe it's something else. Listen to what. God says about his word. This is probably the best habit you can have for 2020. And by the way, uh, how many ladies took the challenge to read through the Bible in a year? Look at the hands go up. Great. I think the men should join you guys. They are. We've got five men. Men up, man up, men. Don't let the ladies beat us in the Bible reading. But on a serious note, why do we encourage you to spend time in the Word of God? Again, going back to where we started, true north. We need true north. You know, you cannot work it out on your own, on your own terms. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. One of the ways we do that is we develop the habit of going into his word often and regularly and daily. Listen to what God says about his word. This is Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is powerful. How is it powerful? Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. It's able to, to, to enter into our lives and change things. To change our attitudes to discern the thoughts and the affections of our hearts so that we may be better people. That's what God wants. To transform us and to change us. We can't do that on our own. You know, it's like, okay, let's just say you have an exercise. You want to kind of turn over a new leaf and get healthier this year. I'm going to the gym, you say. You go into the gym. And you sit down on the bench. For a half hour, the trainer is kind of giving you the weird eye. You get up and you walk out. Your family says, where have you been? I'm going to the gym three times a week. Then why do you look like you're such a pudge still? You're not telling them what you're doing three times a week, but you're sitting for three days. It doesn't work that way, right? I will challenge you with this. If you take the time and spend with God every day, you will be filled in a fresh way. You'll discover true north.
That's why quiet time is so important. We have these wonderful tools if you're looking for guidance. Daily bread's a great way to start. Right here, free. Today in a word, Moody Bible Institute. We get about 20 of these each month. So they're out there on the rack. Free. You take that. This month's Today in the Word is following by faith. It talks about what faith is and brings you into the Word of God. These are great tools. There's other tremendous amount of tools online. There's apps online. There's no shortage of resources is my point. If you take the time, start with 15 minutes a day and increase that as God leads you so that you may learn to cultivate a thirst and a hunger for the things of God. Jesus said it. Blessed you'll be. Those who hunger and thirst for God, for they shall be filled. As I um, call the men forward for the uh, Lord's Supper, it's a great way to bring in the new year, the Lord's Supper. This will be my final point before we break bread together. Christ will lead us to the fullness of life. Christ himself will lead you to the fullness of life. In John chapter 6, we have an amazing account of scripture where a crowd of people are following Jesus to a remote area on the Sea of Galilee. They, They follow him far enough away from any town that this group, and we're talking about more than 5,000 when you include the disciples and Jesus, they're a day's journey almost from any food source. And it was there that they discovered they were hungry. And so Jesus finds this little boy with five loaves of fish, five loaves of bread and two fish. That's it. Five loaves, two fish. And he miraculously, through the disciples, feeds these 5,000, and they had 12 baskets left over. I mean, it's a phenomenal miracle in the scriptures. But it's what comes after that's very interesting to me. Afterwards, Jesus gets in the boat, goes to the other side of the lake. All 5,000 follow him to the other side of the lake. It takes a while for them to get there. They finally catch up. And then Jesus says this to them. He says, you didn't come because of me. You came because you wanted more food. And in John 6, 35, he said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and however, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Many of them didn't like that. They wanted bread. They wanted physical bread, more fish. They wanted Jesus to perform another miracle for them. I mean, they wanted Jesus to basically be like the genie in the bottle. You know that some people have that relationship with God. You know, he's on the shelf. Hmm, I I have a need today. Lord, help me out here. And then you put him back out and then God's just an afterthought. That's the way it was with these people. But Jesus offers himself. Listen to how Jesus pressed on. John 6, 43 through 47. Do not grumble among yourselves. Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Jesus is offering himself a relationship with him. Then Jesus said this, which caused many of them to walk away. Listen to this now. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of of him, you have no life in you, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now, Jesus is not talking about cannibalism here. He's using a metaphor that if we truly want to be filled, we must go to him. Understand that his life that went to the cross for our life, that when he went to the cross and died for our sins, that every one of our Possible problems were resolved at that moment when we put our faith in him because at that moment when we put our faith in him, we have a promissory note from God that we receive eternal life. We have a future for resurrection and the resources here and now to be filled with the things of God. The condition is to follow him. The condition is to believe in him. You know, the sad thing about John 6 is after Jesus tells them all that, that was a relationship with him, that they would know God, that was a relationship with him, they would be filled. Listen to what John, and I'm not a big guy into numbers, but it is interesting that it's John 666. He says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Wow. I I can't think of a more tragic verse in the entire Bible. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh is standing before them, inviting them into a relationship with himself. And what do they do? Walk away. They walk away. I know most of you. I don't know all of you. But if you're here this morning and you've yet to make that commitment to follow Jesus, I'm going to just give you the gospel very, very simply right now. It's taking your affections off yourself and your desires and all those things that that might be leading you somewhere else other than God. And by faith, putting your faith in Jesus Christ who, who died for you, forgives you of your sin, gives you a promise of eternal life, and that's the gospel. So when we come to this table and we break the bread and drink of the cup, what we're doing is remembering that this is the way to God. This is the fullness of God, that when we go to him, we can have relationship with him and be filled to overflowing. That's good news of the gospel. How did we start today? Matthew chapter 5. Blessed or happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen to that. Father, we're grateful for the gospel and our Lord and Savior Jesus. As we go to this table now, we just pray that as we begin this new year, that our affections would be redirected, that you would be truly Lord of everything in our lives to direct us 
to change us, to fill us. Thank you, Lord, for these promises. Give us the will to walk in them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.